Oh, God. Mm. Suzanne? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I sound like a milk carton, I know. Yeah, just just run the intro anyway, man. We gotta get this, gotta get this show on the road. may contain content some may find offensive, vulgar, or inappropriate for work or school. All views expressed on this show solely belong to the individual that expressed them. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Blur Havoc Podcast. I am your host, the nasally challenged Alistair Hagen. And I've got a goddamn sinus infection. <laughs> That's why I sound like this, okay? I guess it's going to be a, a regular thing every season. We're going to have an episode where my nose is just stuffed, I guess. But we're going to talk about something I, I alluded to a few episodes ago. Um, where we talk about what the characters think and feel about certain situations. So, but, but, but first we got to start off with our tradition, our drink of choice for the evening. I have a truly original lemonade hard seltzer. So let's crack that open for us real quick. Get a swig of that. That doesn't taste like lemonade at all. It's like, it's like sparkling water with like lemon juice squirted in it and it just i don't know i haven't had alcohol or liquor in like two months so it's just i guess that my taste buds have adjusted differently but anyway let's talk about this because mauler mauler pointed this out in his video on the snyder cut of justice league right where he points out that a lot of times these characters do and go through things that that would be highly traumatizing or or interesting but we don't know what they think or feel about these moments you know like i think one of the examples was uh shit i don't remember man it's been a minute since i've seen that video but we'll we'll, we'll create an example right uh let's see one movie that i saw recently that wasn't good um Uh, we could use, like, Black Widow, for example, all right? Like, one example is that he brings this up in his Black Widow video, actually, that uh, the Red Guardian, find, uh, we, we don't get to see his reaction to Dracoff being killed. 
we don't know how he feels about you know Drake off being killed or like you know we we don't get to see how he feels about being in certain situations you know and and what what I wanted to do this episode is not necessarily bring up a bunch of examples as to why as to this happening but more so talk about why it's important for us to know what these characters are thinking and feeling so first off why why is it important well mainly because we need to know what the character is feeling because it allows us to to empathize with them it allows us to understand where they're coming from some things are not really you know you know explanatory like they're kind of self-explanatory such as when luke finds out that his father is dark darth vader we don't need to really understand how he you know we don't need to have him sit down and explain why this is such a traumatizing event you could see it all in his face when he screams no when he finds out his father is darth vader it's a very traumatizing experience to realize your entire life has been a lie thinking that your father died but in actuality your father is out here slaughtering innocent people yeah pretty screwed up way to you know find out about your lineage you feel me right but we understand what luke is feeling in that moment where he's like holy shit my dad is a space nazi what the shit you know it would be a totally different story if luke before he throws himself down the chasm he just says what no and he just jumps what i'd honestly i'd honestly like to see that because i i'd honestly laugh at that that'd be hilarious um but another example is um joker Uh, i love i love bringing up joker apparently but a good example that's a lot more subtle is that the scene where joker kills murray um right after he kills murray Notice how the camera is focusing on his expression and not the audience freaking out. It's not focusing on anyone but Arthur. You you see his expression. You see his like frazzled, like kind of fast-paced breathing, because it's focusing on his reaction to it, how he feels about what he just did. He's not freaked out about it like he he was when he killed the Wayne Tech employees on the subway. He's breathing and reveling in the fact that he just killed somebody. He enjoyed it. You could see it in his face. It was a rush of adrenaline. It would be different if, like, we see we see the audience freaking out and everyone's, like, screaming and, like, you know, you're seeing a bunch of other shit. But you're not seeing Arthur and how he's responding to it. That's what makes that scene so interesting is watching his reaction to him just killing a man on live TV. Now, I noticed that in a lot of my previous... Um, episodes that bring up a lot of comic book movies so let's do something different let's bring up resident evil welcome to raccoon city um there okay so that movie is dog shit by the way and i don't i can't bring myself to talk about it it's 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 bad just know that um but it it let's just play, say it plays fast and loose with the resident evil lore um but basically what it did in the movie is that it made Chris and Claire Redfield like orphans and they were raised under uh William Birkin which just I don't know what the hell they were thinking but that's what they did and they chose to do it and they did it and they made a movie out of it so yeah um so William Birkin like 
like okay so early in the movie claire runs away from the birkin uh orphanage while uh, while chris stays and like chris is raised by william birkin to be like you know like high school football champ and like stars like like officer and like you know he's basically like a boy scout right um and then later at the end of the movie it's revealed that william was using chris as a pawn for for hello hey yo dog hey yo dog nah bro nah bro no no ma'am thank you anyway um William was using Chris as a pawn, basically, where he was doing he was doing William's bidding without even realizing that he was helping like destroy an entire city. He was creating this mutant virus thing that was going to that was a threat to humanity. And by the by, by the end of the movie, William goes completely mask off and he's like, "You were a good little soldier. How does it feel to know that you were a pawn and stuff like that?" Right? He's going full on mustache twirling like bad guy, right? And then. And then, like, Chris, all he says is something snarky, like, uh, basically all he says is, you're a jerk, and then, like, executes him or something like that. And it's like, it would have been nice to have a moment of introspection where he's like, I can't, like, you know, something where he's, like, sitting on the train, at, you know, the train from Resident Evil 2. He's, like, sitting on the train, and he's like, I can't believe he used me for his, his, his schemes. I felt, I felt like I was doing the right thing. But now I realize he played me or something like that. I know it's melodramatic and it's like high school tier writing, but, you know, it's just coming off the top of my head. That bare minimum would have, like, done something to add to his character, you know? But instead, he just says something snarky like, you're a jerk, and then shoots him in the face, and then he escapes. That's it. It's very important to understand what your character is feeling and thinking for that reason right there. It adds development to the character. And then in and in the writing process, I realized that doing this allows you to understand where you take that character next. Like, uh, let me break up an example from my books, right? There was a scene in, I think it was Blur Havoc 2. Nope, it was in Blur Havoc 3, where I've realized that Melanie and Volana are kind of similar. Um, they're kind of similar in very uncomfortable ways. Which will allow me to bring that forward in in a sequel of some kind, where Alistair will sit down and realize he he basically has a type and it's not okay, right? He'll do some introspection and realize that he has a type and he has behaviors that are not necessarily uh, the most classy, so to speak. He's not like a, a man whore or anything. Don't 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 think that, but he's like. Basically, he he has behaviors that are not that are quite toxic, you know. I'm I understand that I'm being very vague and not very descriptive, but there's a reason because you know I want you to actually read the books, you know. <laughs> but Alistair basically has behaviors that are not very uh, healthy in terms of fostering a relationship, and I realized that by having a scene where uh, one of the characters points out, "Hey, Alistair, you were kind of a piece of shit in our relationship," so yeah. Having the characters share how they feel about something is super duper important. So, what? What? How exactly do you get to the point where you don't share how your characters feel about something? 
And we're going to expand upon something I talked about in a previous episode of how things get rushed. Things feel unearned. Because when you, there's, there's two ways that this could happen. It could either be that your movie is jam-packed full of shit that doesn't need to be there. Or it's a movie that doesn't have enough going on. And you're focusing on the wrong things. Or you could have a plot-driven movie, which plot-driven movies aren't really my forte. Because they're kind of boring to me. Like movies like 2012 and uh, all the disaster movies like Twister and stuff. They're kind of like more plot-driven. Dunkirk is plot-driven as well. I'm not a huge fan of uh, plot-driven stuff. But um, first one, your movie's jam-packed full of shit that doesn't need to be there. This can happen in, this can happen without you even realizing it, but one of the things that causes this is by not resolving certain plot threads at, you know, in smart ways. When you try to resolve everything at the end of the movie, especially if it's like a sequel or something, you try to resolve everything at the end of the movie or at the end of the story, it, the, the end, you get Zack Snyder's Justice League is what happens there. That's why that ending had a bunch of shit in it. And it just didn't feel like it was going to end anytime soon. Because instead of smartly resolving things as the movie progresses, like, um, what's a good example of this? Uh, the Mass Effect games are good at this. Where plot threads will be resolved throughout the game rather than them all being resolved at the end of, the, uh, at the end of each game. Like in Mass Effect 3, it resolves, if you cheated on your love interest from Mass Effect 1, it resolves that very early in the game. Um... It resolves the plot thread of, of, of Udina in being a jackass. It resolves that midway through the game. It resolves the issue of the Quarians and the uh, the Geth like three-fourths into the game. It resolves the, the Genophage and the Krogan Salarian issue like the first quarter of the game. It resolves a lot of these issues that have been piling up since the beginning of the trilogy like throughout the third game rather than stacking it all up at the end of the game. Imagine if you were dealing with the genophage while fighting the Reapers in London on Earth. One of those storylines is going to get the short end of the stick, and I'm telling you that you're going to be mad if that happens. That's why it's very smart to resolve issues as the story progresses. Resolve plot lines as the story progresses. And that's why Endgame felt a bit unsatisfying for a lot of people was because plot lines were either resolved hastily at the end of the movie or weren't resolved at all. Or they were unsatisfying. But Endgame is kind of like a little thing that just... We gotta talk about that some other day when I've rewatched the movie because I've only watched it once and I didn't like it. So I'll have to watch it again so I can really put into words what is up, what is wrong with that movie. Um, but back to the original issue, um, movies having stuff in it that just don't need to be there or it's not resolving it in a, in a efficient manner, which is something I had to learn in Blur Havoc 3 is that you have to resolve, if you have a trilogy, you need to resolve it as the story progresses, resolve plot lines as the story progresses instead of slapping it all at the end. And the next thing you know, people are like, well, what is up with this ending and why is it not stopping? It keeps going. Like Interstellar was like that, where the ending just kept going. But then you got something else going on where instead of it being too much stuff is going on, not enough stuff is going on. And it's kind of easy to see when nothing is going on. 
because you get stuff like Mortal Kombat where nothing is going on throughout that movie. Like the only character that has quote unquote character development is uh, Cole, who the only thing he learns in that movie is how to get his ass kicked better than before he had superpowers. Which I still can't get over the fact that this man's this man's superpower is getting his ass kicked. I can't get over that. But anyway, he's the only character that has character development, quote unquote. And all it is is that he needs to care for his family, which is what he was already doing at the beginning of the movie. There was nothing learned in that movie. And what else did anybody else learn in that movie? Like... Nobody, nobody besides Cole, quote unquote, learned anything. Like nobody developed in that movie. It was, it was honestly odd how nothing, that movie had a lot going on and nothing going on at the same time. How can you have a, a movie that has a training montage and then by the time you get to the midway point, it feels like nobody has any training. Je ne comprends pas. It, it reminds me of a little issue I had with Doctor Strange where the montage didn't make it feel like Doctor Strange was actually going through a process, but that's a different story. Um, but yeah, Mortal Kombat, it feels like they're training and then like, they're not, they haven't actually progressed any. They just had a training montage. And then, and then like, like, Kano betrays the team after Cabal like says hey our side's cooler and then he's like yeah your side is cooler and then Kano just betrays the good guys like okay and it, it genuinely feels like the characters don't learn anything or gain any new skills because they just have to unlock their power quote unquote unlock their arcana like Jax he doesn't learn to like actually like you know gain strength control strength it's just that through the power of friendship, he gets big robot arms. Huh? Huh? Why does any of this matter? If the, That's what I meant by Mortal Kombat feels unearned. Is that a lot of stuff feels unearned because Jax just get big, big robot arms because he saved... He was trying to save his friend. Like, what? And then Cole gets, you know... Like, the gold version of getting your ass beat. Like, he gets the gold version of that ability by trying to save his family, which... Like, okay. Like, as a father, you're kind of expected to do that. So, yeah, I guess. And then Sonya just... She gets her powers by just killing Kano, and then she just knows how to use them all of a sudden. It's like, what the fuck is this? What is this? And the worst part is, like, there's no time for the characters to stop and, like, establish what are they feeling in this moment. What are you talking about, phone? My phone just yelled at me. But, like, there's no time for the characters to slow down and go, like, yo, I'm getting superpowers. What the hell is going on? They had to fight a, a reptilian monster thing. And we don't know how anybody feels about this shit. They're just like, yeah, let's just go on this desert adventure to find these monks in the middle of the desert. Like, what? If you want us to care about these characters, we have to understand what they're thinking. 
like imagine if your friend like walks up to you and says hey man i just bought a new car you'd be like oh okay that's nice i guess sure okay but imagine but but instead like your friend talks about how for the longest they, they've had this horrible car that falls apart and they're like dude i can't wait to get this new car it's gonna be so rad and then, like, you know, they've been telling you that they are really excited for this new car. And then finally, like, a, a few months later, they go, like, dude, I finally got this new car. Look at it. It's so rad. You're going to feel a little bit better about it. It's like, hey, he finally got that thing that he said he wanted. He worked hard and got the thing that he wanted for the emotional reasons that he provided. That's way more satisfying than a guy just saying, hey, I got a new car. Yeah, okay. Or like another example being, um, say your friend is like, dude, like I want to be an astronaut, right? And they're like, and then you watch as they like work hard to like, you know, go to astronaut school, whatever degree you need to be an astronaut. I don't know, man. You go to astronaut school, they go through the zero G training, they got footage, they got logs and stuff of their training and stuff. And then like, they go like, dude, I'm about to go, I'm about to go into space. I'm about to be an astronaut, man. And you go like, wow, I watched you say you wanted to be an astronaut and I watched you work and train to become an astronaut and you made it. I watched your journey and that hits home for me, bro. I appreciate your journey and I'm proud of you. Now go up there and be a superstar. You're going to feel more connected to that 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 struggle and that desire when you see their progress and you see how they feel about this stuff instead of one day your friend says hey bro i'm an astronaut now it's like oh shit wow okay cool see ya like <laughs> you know we we're more likely to care about something when we see how much somebody wants it how they feel about it and we see their struggle to achieve that goal right which miss marvel a show that's supposed to be coming out on Disney Plus soon, it, it seems as if they're going to miss that memo where Miss Marvel in the comic book, she kind of just accidentally gets powers one day and we don't see how she, we, we don't really see, you know, how she feels about it, like why she, what she's going to do with these powers, what she feels about what she's going to do with these powers. She kind of just gets powers and decides, I'm going to be a superhero. Or superheroine, you know, we gotta watch out for the misgendering one. Whatever. And um and and people would often point out, hey, Spider-Man got powers randomly, you know, but nobody complains about that. But the thing is is that the thing is is that Spider-Man's journey is more so about the fact that as the as the saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. In the beginning of Spider-Man's origin story, it, it, at least in most of the iterations I've seen, Spider-Man's origin story starts with him being indirectly the cause of his uncle's death. So we get to see why these powers and that saying mean something to him. He indirectly caused his uncle's death by having this great power and not using it responsibly. He could have stopped the guy that was that killed his uncle, you know, with the powers that he had, but he chose not to out of spite. 
or indifference or whatever the case was. So once he sees that his actions indirectly caused his uncle's death, we get to see why. Oh, God, excuse me. We get to see why this saying matters to him. We get to see why his journey matters to him. Why using his powers responsibly matters to him. With Miss Marvel, it's more of a just a, hey, she has superpowers now. Go be a Muslim superhero. That's really it. So I, I don't like how people, that just a small tangent, I don't like how people misunderstand what the point of Spider-Man is. I don't like when people misunderstand it. When they just say, oh, Spider-Man just got powers and that's it. Well, no, Spider-Man got powers and he had to learn how to use them responsibly. Because it's easy to get power and to get power you didn't earn and use it irresponsibly. It's way too easy. Trust me, I know from experience that you getting power that you did not deserve and using it inappropriately is way too fucking easy. Trust me when I say this. I understand what that means. Great power comes great responsibility. This shit's real. But anyway, back on subject. Um, there are, and, and another reason, back on the original topic, another reason why understanding what your character feels is super important because it allows you to create some very powerful moments. Um, one of the more touching moments of like the Mass Effect trilogy is when you hear your romantic, your, your romantic interest tell you how much they missed you in between games. Like when they thought you were dead. I think it was like in Mass Effect 3 when they hear when like either Caden or Ashley hears that you were dead and they go like I missed you a lot and yada 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 like you know like some of those moments are the most powerful moments in the game when they the characters just tell you how they feel about something that happened in universe when they thought that they were going to lose you or like uh like Garrus when he tells you how you know how you and him are going to take down the reapers together both in the romantic and the non-romantic context. Like, some of the most powerful and most memorable moments in Mass Effect are when the characters are just spilling their guts. They're telling you how they feel. And there's a moment in Blur Havoc 3. I'll bring up Blur Havoc 3 instead of other stuff. Um, and there's a moment in Blur Havoc 3 where... The action has cooled down a bit, you know. There's some some room to breathe. There's a lot of breathing room in Blur Havoc 3, to be honest. But there's a there's a moment where Alistair sits down. He stops being angry. He stops being Doom Slayer mode, and he explains why he's doing what he's doing, what he feels like, how he can't sleep until he finishes his objective, how he can't sleep, how all he can think about is finding this objective and completing it, right? And you, you know, you get to see how he's like got this crazed look in his eye, and he's like, he's absolutely hardwired to complete this thing. He can't sleep, right? And it does this for two reasons because it reminds you of what happened in Blur Havoc 2, and it also shows you how Alistair is completely insane in Blur Havoc 3. It shows you how far off the edge he is, and how, how driven he is to complete his objective. Because in a sense, he feels that until he completes his objective, he won't be free from this hell on earth. 
So, mind you, I wrote that scene before Mauler's, um, what is that movie? Mauler's Zack Snyder Justice League video came out. I wrote that scene before that video came out. It's an innate part of writing to understand that, hey, we kind of need to know how this this person feels, you know? Because it's just a natural part of human, you know, sociology is that we're more likely to to empathize, empathize with somebody when we know how they feel. How are we supposed to know that this thing is super important to you when you haven't explained to us how important it is to you? You know, and I understand that some people will say, well, that's that's showing that's telling and that's not showing. Well, just because you tell it doesn't mean it's not effective. You can add, like I said, with Alistair's example, you can add some visual cues, such as when I said Alistair like talks very zealously about zealously. He's very zealous about what he's talking about in that scene. Where he's super driven and he's super like intense. He's really telling, showing you how intense this desire is to complete this objective. Which I'm being vague about the objective, but if you know anything about my books, you know what the objective is. But that's how you can show and tell. Showing and telling helps too. It's way more powerful to just show, but you can show and tell. Just don't just tell, you know? Don't say, hey, this thing happened off screen. I'm pointing in the back of my room like you can see this shit, but don't just say, hey, this thing happened over there. The super important world shattering event happened all the way over there two weeks ago. Let me tell you how that's important right now. Like you don't do that. And I guess to sum it all up at the end of this episode, telling us how your characters feel and think is an extension of showing and not telling. Because, like, imagine that if the entirety of, if the entirety of, like, say, No Way Home, which has come out, by the way, and I was 100% correct about the three Spider-Men, but let's say No Way Home came out, and at no point in the movie did Andrew say, hey, my girlfriend died because I failed to save her, right? At no point did he bring up the fact that his past girlfriend died right and then he saves mj and then like he just starts crying and we're just like yo why the hell are you crying bro what's going on like i understand that like you know us that have seen the movie uh, amazing spider-man 2 we would understand why he's crying but you know imagine if you didn't see amazing spider-man 2 and he just starts crying after he caught mj it's like yo yo what is happening why are you crying and he just goes like yeah, my last girlfriend, she died. And it's just like, that would have been nice to know before that, before this moment. Like, what the shit? God, man, you can't just drop something like that on us. That's why it's important to, like, set this up. It's all about setups and payoffs, man. That's what storytelling is, honestly. And we got to talk about No Way Home in another episode. But No Way Home did really good about using setups from old movies that weren't even in this universe for payoffs in that movie that's that's pretty rad if you ask me but yeah that's all i got for today i'm gonna go take like some mucinex or something um because it's kind of hard to talk with an with my nose stopped up like this so yeah 
I'm gonna call it an evening. Thank you for listening. This has been your boy, Alistair Aiken. See you guys in the next episode. Ta-ta for now. Listening to the Blur Havoc podcast. Purchase the Blur Havoc book series on Amazon Kindle or paperback today. 